Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. In order to face this pandemic, it's very, very hard to get it when you have half of the Congress who is, you know, puffing out their chest and such a tiny minority of women on the Republican side. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed the long weekend and that you're doing as well as possible during a time when we're learning that about 100,000 Americans have lost their lives to COVID-19. 
So it's just hard to know how to greet one another or have any kind of normal conversation, but we're here to continue working our way through the news. We have a very special and beloved guest joining us today. Former ambassador to Austria, Swanee Hunt, will be here. She has devoted most of her adult life to learning about women in leadership and is going to talk with us about women's leadership through coronavirus. But before that, we will get to some of the news of the week. Sarah, do you want to tell everybody what's coming on Friday? We have another very special guest. It's an exciting week here. Yeah, we thought this would be perfect in conjunction with our discussion with Swanee Hunt today about women in leadership. We are going to interview the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, and she will be here on Friday. And we cannot wait to talk to her and we cannot wait to share that conversation with all of you. Let's start with what I think is some good news today. We're going back to space. I think this is exciting. Yeah, we need this. SpaceX is putting a Human crew, NASA astronauts Robert Benkin and Douglas Hurley on the Dragon capsule on a mission to the International Space Station. Since 2011, we've been hitching rides with the Russian spaceships, which it's like it's not it's not a good brand look is what I would say for America. So I'm really glad that we are going to. Um, send a crew. It's good. They're live streaming the launch. I have a whole homeschool curriculum around this because today is also Sally Ride Day, Sally Ride's birthday. So it's a big space week here in America. And you know what? We need it. We need it really bad, especially as we talk about the rest of the headlines this week. <laughs> we do. And we can all watch this at home, live streamed, 4.33 p.m., I think, on Wednesday Eastern Time. And I know it's kind of weird that Elon Musk is putting people in space, but today I take it. I take it happily. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think they they have partnered with private industry um, to start putting people in space again, again, so we're not having to hitch rides with the Russians. And I think it is good. You know, it was a competition between Boeing. SpaceX got there first. This is going to be really... Um, an examination, a competition, um, an experiment on private space travel, which I think is definitely coming for all of us. And NASA can dedicate all of its resources to going into deep space and um, finding all the extraterrestrial life that our government, just as a side note, sort of acknowledged in the last few weeks. Like, yeah, it's yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah, it's out there. It's cool. We're not going to talk about it. It was kind of random, but so NASA is going to work on that. NASA is going to work on what other life is out in the universe and private industry is going to work on getting human life back into space. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. I can't wait for everything that's going to be discovered through all of this um, because you know that this will just be the first of many. I mean, let's let's sincerely hope that this will be the first of many. So I best of luck to astronauts Binken and Hurley and to everyone involved. And please do not go to Florida to watch this live. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as we look to the skies to remain inspired, there's a real lack of inspiration here on Earth. Um, We have Joe Biden making a very flippant and disrespectful and arguably racist comment on his interview with Charlemagne the God. He said, basically, if you're not supporting me, then you ain't black, which hmm. we also have Donald Trump out golfing over the weekend, um, refusing to acknowledge the 
massive loss of life through COVID-19. Did take some time out to insult Stacey Abrams, Nancy Pelosi, specifically their looks, to call Hillary Clinton a skank. I mean, he he had some time on his hands between the golfing to tweet and retweet some truly offensive things. Um, and then in our own home state of Kentucky, we had protesters at our state capitol hanging our governor in effigy. So glad we we took our moment of inspiration in space because the rest of what we have to talk about in this segment is not awesome. I hate for Joe Biden's team specifically that he put them in the position of having to respond to this comment. And I think, look, if you are a person who's inclined to say, okay, he is prone to gaffes, but look at the president, that is true. And it is also incomplete because making Joe Biden a better person and candidate will make him a better president. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for him to own up to these kinds of mistakes to learn what he can learn. I recognize that he is a fully formed human late in life, very certain of his own goodness. It's going to be difficult for him to learn some of these lessons, but I think he can. And I think it is important to say this was wrong. It was in very poor taste. It showed a real attitude of condescension that is unacceptable. And I think that it is important for Black voters in particular to say this is this is important to us and here's what we need. And that that discussion is happening and we should all listen to it. It's important. Yeah, he does seem to be a little bit quicker with the realization of I have got to watch what I say. I wish it was quicker in the preventative (laughs) area and he could catch himself before making these gaffes. But listen, that's hard. It's hard for all of us. You know, I don't want to yell at my kids and I yell at my kids, even though I don't want to yell at my kids. And I apologize every time I yell at my kids. You know, we all speak off the cuff and it is really, really difficult. He does seem to be gaining. I think I think you're right. I think every time this happens, it's like he does seem to be better about gaining self-awareness, um, speaking more sincerely when he apologizes So, I mean, it's just, look, I don't know Joe Biden. I'm not sitting at the dinner table with Joe Biden. It's hard to know the impact of these experiences. But I hope you're right. I think that he is gaining in self-awareness. As to our governor, if you do not live in Kentucky, there are some things I would like for you to know. Governor Bashir has like a 70 percent, 70 plus percent favorability rating. So about 100 people at our Capitol acting a fool does not represent the entire state of Kentucky. Word. It is also important for you to know that I don't think anything about this scene that is playing out across the national media now has much to do with COVID-19. I do not think he was burned in effigy because people think, I don't know, the reopening for fitness center requirements were a little too sharp. Yeah. This was a group of extreme gun rights advocates. and. They kind of openly said, well, we're just not getting enough attention. (laughs) So they pulled, they dug into the most offensive racist history that exists in our state to try to get that attention. And it kind of makes me mad to be sitting here giving it to them. (laughs) And at the same time, I recognize that images like that are 
harmful on so many levels to all of us that it is important to say unequivocally that was wrong. And I'll tell you what has really like gotten my goat to use a very Kentucky expression about this is that every Republican except for one, and this is my compliment this week, who I've seen talk about this, has has prefaced it in this like, well, I support everyone's right to protest, but that went too far kind of language. Even the people who said really strong things, like this has no place here, have wrapped it in, I support your right to protest. And I really appreciated one of our state legislators, Julie Rake Adams, who's a Republican from Louisville, who just said, unacceptable. I'm so tired of the hate. We have serious issues to resolve and hate gets us no progress. Thank you, Representative Adams, because this is just not one we need to equivocate on. This was not real protest. This Mm -mm. was just attention getting. My Facebook feed has been full of mostly, you know, my friends on the left side of the political spectrum, you know, some people, I had some people <laughs> just be like, they're going to burn in hell for this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's not, mm, I don't know if that's really what the reaction we want to lean into. Or people saying like, this isn't a left or right thing and, you know, condemning it and being totally and rightly offended. And I think for me, anyone who is going to hang anyone in effigy does not share my values. I don't care what they're protesting. That is a a type of protest that to me says nothing, but I have zero respect for human life. And there are some human beings that I see as less than human. And, you know, that's what we talk about here at the show. At the end of the day, because of my personal values, we are all children of God deserving a basic human dignity. And there is no way to string up somebody in effigy that exhibits basic human dignity. They are exclusionary. And so, you know, I can't even, I don't want to engage about what they were protesting about. I don't really, you know, I don't want to throw somebody in jail for doing this, but I don't see it as a valid political protest. To me, it's just it's nothing but hate speech. And I I, I agree. I hate that these people are getting so much attention. But the first thing I thought when I saw this, like filling up my Facebook feed, was at the same moment we learned that we had no deaths from COVID-19 the same day as this protest. And I thought, like, watching our governor over these weeks and weeks and his leadership, I thought, that made his day. Like, I bet you this protest couldn't touch the fact that he got to stand up and say, we didn't lose any Kentuckians today. And I thought, like, what a sort of ironic confluence of events, right? That you have this heinous protest and the first day in a really long time where he got to stand up and say, nobody lost their life today. And, you know, I think that that is the clearest illustration to me of, you know, each side's political values and each side's just moral ethics. and. I would I want to lean in and pay attention to the leadership of Governor Bashir and the fact that it has 
and continues to save lives and not let the just heinous attention getting of this particular group suck up all the oxygen in the room. There's a study published from the University of Kentucky's Institute for the Study of Free Enterprise that shows that Kentucky likely would have had 10 times more COVID-19 cases and 2,000 more deaths as of April 25th if the stay-at-home measures had not been implemented. And I just think statistics like that speak for themselves. Again, this is not about legitimate disagreement with the approach to reopening the economy or the approach to the the stay-at-home orders. What they did is just something entirely different in its own category. It's wrong. We should not use the arm of the state to prosecute them for it because that only fuels those fires. But we should say it's wrong. What concerns me is less a bunch of people doing something like this to get attention and more the number of people who saw it on their phones and chuckled about it. That, to me, is the insidious side of the work we still have to do on race in this state and elsewhere. And and that's what bothers me, especially because, you know, Governor Bashir at his press conferences tells us the racial makeup of the people who have suffered with COVID-19 and the people who've died from it and talks frequently about how that is the result of hundreds of years of racist policies and that we need to address those. And he hopes everyone has the political will to do that. And so he is ruffling feathers around some difficult issues in this state. And that is important. And I respect it so much. And I know there are people around Kentucky who say, why does he have to tell that? Why does everything have to be about race? I was listening to the Indigo Girls over the weekend. And I love that line where they say, if music could only bring peace, then I'd only be a musician. Mm. And that's kind of how I feel about, like, if not talking about race would solve it, then then we wouldn't, right? But that's just not how it's been. And so he's he's shedding light on this, and he is going to get more and more of this pushback for it. And I really just want people outside of Kentucky to know that the data says the vast majority of Kentuckians are with him. To me, it's reflective of the ugliness that trickles down from the top. The president, again, this weekend, insulting people's looks, retweeting racist, sexist, offensive things. And, you know, it's it's such a deflection. It's like you said, it's not because they have a, a reasonable argument to present. It's just, in particular with him, there's no leadership with regards to reopening. There's no leadership to protect us from a, a resurgence in the fall. And so it's just a screaming attack. I don't have anything to build or to add, so I'm just going to talk about how awful you are. And I feel like, you know, he's been getting some pretty not great poll numbers. And so this is what you see. You see this, the ugliness ratchets up to distract and deflect from the fact that there is nothing positive to point to. And it just, I feel like when he acts like that, it just infects everything. It infects every person who then thinks the most offensive political, I hate to call it a political protest, the most offensive sort of hate speech is now on the table. It's allowed. And it just, it gets worse every time. And it feels like everybody has permission to act to their most 
awful instinct. Yeah, it's not just permission. It's like they almost feel like their hand has been forced to try to get some attention. I mean, that's what they yeah. said. Like, yeah. you know, yelling and screaming hasn't done it. So we we put someone in effigy around a tree. I mean, it's just it's so disgusting. And if it doesn't cause all of us to take a big step back to say, what are we doing here? You know, I, I, what are we doing here? That's my question. Well, I've, I don't know if you read the week over the weekend, all the sort of the people gaming out the worst case scenario, because I do think as the news for him gets worse and worse and the closer we get to the election, I am becoming increasingly concerned about how much of a push he'll need to take this ugliness off of Twitter and start really disrupting our process and not just trying to suppress votes via tweet by saying, oh, all mail-in voting is fraud, but really taking the administration and the power the different administrative departments have to disrupt our election because he's going to keep getting bad news. And when he gets bad news, this is how he acts. And, you know, I'm concerned. I'm not going to lie. I'm really concerned about about how far he'll go. It's like we talked about the other week, like when you feel like you can't win fair and square, which I think it's going to become readily apparent that it is going to be tough for him to win fair and square, that like what will he be willing to do? I don't have an answer to that. And I, and I, I share your concern about it. And I think that the absolute best thing for America and the least likely thing for America in November is a clear and decisive margin. I don't think that's off the table. Let me be clear. I don't think that's off the table. Well, I I don't want anybody to feel comfortable about that. I think that it is so important that we not get complacent about that because... No, I agree. If we get complacent, we will have a very narrow margin in either direction and it will be an unbelievably ugly moment in our history. I do yeah. want to say, though, as we're tying this into the story about Governor Bashir, because I agree completely that there is a tone set in this country by the president that has escalated to this kind of thing taking place in the on the Capitol steps and people marching up to the door of the governor's mansion where two young children live with their mom and dad. I do want to say the Governor Bashir is a Democrat who speaks extremely respectfully about this president, probably in mm-hmm. a way that absolutely drives his base of support crazy. And he says every day, we are following the White House's reopening guidelines. These are the White House benchmarks. Here's how we're doing compared to the White House. And so he has tried as much as any human can try to handle this on a nonpartisan basis with concern for public health in Kentucky and and without piling on to the chorus of voices that talk about how inept the federal response has been. He's really been a class act throughout this and just does not deserve this. Well, Anne hasn't, you know, really provoked the ire of the president, which tells you how bad would these protests get if he starts tweeting about our governor, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're talking about the tone that can be set (laughs) by certain perspective in the White House. Let's talk about it. what it looks like when there's a very different perspective in charge of the country. 
with our guest. Um, she almost needs no introduction because she is such a frequent part of what we do here at Pantsuit Politics. But please enjoy our conversation with Ambassador Swanee Hunt, who served in the Clinton administration and who has devoted her life really to demonstrating how women's leadership statistically improves outcomes for the people they lead. And we're going to begin this discussion with her experience observing and studying the Ebola outbreak in Rwanda. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. 
Well, Ambassador Hunt, thank you so much for joining us again. We are delighted to be talking with you. I wondered if you would mind to take us back to the Ebola crisis. I know that you are very well versed in how that crisis was managed effectively through women's leadership and wondered if you could tell us all about that as we think about how women are leading through COVID-19. Sure, sure. You know, I I have spent some time uh, with President Johnson Sirleaf and we're friends and uh, have been for, I don't know, 20 years. But also I've I've been there in uh, Liberia where she has asked me to come and work with women leaders. So I, I feel like I have a good sense of this. And the women, first of all, you remember there was a 14-year horrific, horrific war. And I'm talking about arms and legs being chopped off and everything bad that you can imagine. Okay. And and so the women had some experience then of organizing. And they had they had done this massive protest, you know, dressing in all white and threatening to take off their clothes if the men didn't stop if they didn't stop fighting, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they did this to, to really great effect. So they knew how to get together and become a force. In fact, when, when uh, President Johnson Sirleaf was elected, the women who were in educations went and sat at the baskets of the market women so that the market women could go vote. And that's how closely knit the women are there. And so you had this movement from the bottom and from the top where President Johnson Sirleaf, who who ran as Ma Ellen, by the way. So she had tremendous and has tremendous credibility as the mother figure. And then you had this push up from the bottom of the women. And this was all it became a major force so that what the president was able to do was to create a whole regional uh, collaboration, which is critical when, when you're dealing with an epidemic or a pandemic. And then she had the connections that she had built over time already with the World Health Organization and the U.S. government to battle Ebola. You know, the U.S. sent troops there to help with this. And it's, it's the opposite of what we've done here, if you think about it, where we did not, our president did not turn to the U.S. military, who were the only ones who could have organized a powerful structure and response against the pandemic. That seems to be the consensus is what you see from female leaders that have really um, succeeded in either halting the spread of COVID-19 or honestly shutting it down before it could even begin to spread is the dependence on outside expertise and the, um, the willingness to open up their circle of advisors to people who might disagree with them or to people who would know more than them about certain subjects. That seems to be one of the common threads. Yeah, humility, uh, that's an idea that what you just said, that the Harvard Business Review uh, talks about. uh, It's um, the title is Leadership Lessons Men Can Learn from Women, which I love. And, And the essential one, the most essential is humility. And they say that means acknowledging your mistakes. And then and then and that's cool. I mean, that's basic. And and that's what we try to teach our kids to do. And and then to consider others' perspectives. 
And how important is that? That nobody has a corner on on what we're doing here. And then to grow and to change. And you know, to be willing to say, you know, I I've got to grow in this area. That's my growing edge. Uh, I've got to change how I've been thinking about this. All of those, when you when you apply them to leadership in a pandemic, you get how it's this concrete, basic way of seeing the world, as opposed to a macho way of seeing it, like we have in in Russia or the U.S. or Brazil uh, and U.K. And the contrast is. You, you couldn't have a greater, a greater span between those two models. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you think about the interplay between the person doing the governing and the people being governed. Is it simply that women in positions of leadership tend to exhibit these characteristics that are fairly new in governing? Or does the fact that a woman has ascended to that leadership position indicate something about the way the country she's leading is going to respond. And that's one of the basic questions that's discussed back and forth. I, did, I almost said that is argued, you know, it's kind of like, well, gee, um, of course, if a country is already progressive in its policies, of course, they're going to have women leaders. And then the women leaders get credit for the country being uh, progressive in, in their policies. So it, there is this sort of circular argument. but. You, but you have specific examples that people turn to and they say, yes, I get that. That is true to experience that that someone like Mary Robinson, who was in a tiny minority calling for abortion rights in Ireland and women throughout Ireland organize and get her elected. And then she becomes a person who is and she's still known worldwide as one of the the great voices to advance women. And when you start advancing women, then you've got, you know, you've got this um, virtuous circle going on. And and by the way, if if you don't mind my going from one topic to another, uh, because I work a lot on women in politics, and it's not just the person at the top, it's also the leadership in the parliament or in the Congress. One of the great dangers in the U.S. is that the Democratic caucus, meaning the Democrats in Congress, have, I'm going to say, 38, 40 percent women. The Republicans, God bless them, they are like six or seven or eight percent women. Now, you can imagine the difference in those parties. And how the women are in such a tiny minority that they can't really speak out and and defy the male leadership. And so there you have a, a vicious circle and and you won't get that kind of movement. And when we talk about the need for bipartisanship in order to face this pandemic, it's very, very hard to get it when you have half of the Congress who is you know puffing out their chest and and you know saying here's you know here's how brave I am here's how smart I am etc and such a tiny minority of women on the republican side you know what i was thinking about when we i was reading about all these female leaders during the crisis is the glass cliff phenomenon have you heard of this with ceos 
where women CEOs are more likely to be brought in in the time of a crisis and then blamed. <laughs> like after the crisis has already been created, they bring in the female CEO. And then if things aren't perfectly fixed, then they're, it's the women's fault. And I thought, man, I hope we don't see this with COVID and, and sort of the political equivalent that we are looking at these female leaders during the time of crisis. And then if there are still, um, you know, as there probably will be um, rough consequences, economic or otherwise, from the pandemic, then these countries, these these female leaders in charge during this time, and I think this could be true of, of governors too, get blamed for everything not working out. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that about governors. The U.S. is more like Europe, right? The U.S. isn't like like France. And so yeah. all of these states, you know, the governors are really like the prime ministers in, mm-hmm. in these uh, other countries. And, and they're as different from one part of our country to another. And so it's really important to watch for that dynamic, uh, as you're saying, to watch for it here. And I really think that uh, forewarned is forearmed. And we ought to be doing just what you're doing and saying, let's not blame the leaders who weren't able to undo a, a pandemic or undo right. terrible leadership at, at the federal level. Let, and by the way, and that is what we're seeing about the the voters who are trusting their governors way over the Congress or the White House. So the, the more women governors we have, you know, the, the more stability we'll have in terms of the citizens who elected them and therefore trust them. I wonder what you think about the effect long term that COVID-19 will have on women in leadership positions. Is that trust at the state level ultimately something that will help us see more women in those positions of leadership? Or are there other long-term trends that you're starting to sense? I know that's an impossibly difficult question, but you have a lot of experience. So I would love your your base instincts and we won't hold you to them. Thank you. I think what we're seeing is both at the mayoral level and at, at the state level, the governorships, there are really powerful examples that are going to be held up. And, you know, it depends how many of us are talking about this. And that's why I'm, I'm really glad that you are. Uh, and, you know, I hear about the Liberian example a lot. And we've got to take that experience and now, you know, apply it to Michigan with, you know, Gretchen Whitmer. And by the way, that is where the president has has just landed. And there's an attorney general there uh, who's also a woman. And she wrote an open letter, did you all follow this, that emphasized, and this was to the president, that he is required by Michigan law to wear a mask, which I think mm. is spectacular. And so he's going to be, and I think he's already landed, his plane is, and of course, he's not wearing a mask. And so he's defying the state law. And after saying that this has got to be a state by state solution. So, but you know, do people care? I mean, that's what where I keep going back. I mean, if we if we looked past the overwhelming case to impeach and convict the president, are we as a country really going to care if he is in this inconsistency of defying the state laws, et cetera? You know, 
at is how many women rally uh, to the defense of this attorney general, Dana Nessel, or of the governor. And, you you know, Trump has been calling her a governor half-wit mer, like she's a half-wit. And he's talking about the woman in Michigan as opposed to the governor, right? So we as women have to rally and say, no, you may not take this space and use it to demean anyone. And we women will stand up for other women to whom this is happening. I think beyond the United States and the governors, the sort of Nordic countries are such an interesting case study as well, because you have the female-led countries taking one approach, Finland and Norway, and then Sweden and Denmark, and Sweden taking such a different approach. I mean, I think everybody's watching Sweden, but I think it would be easy, you know, comparing Sweden to China or Sweden to the United States to say, well, they're just such a different country. And the populations are so different. So I think in particular, because you have these other Nordic countries that are very similar to Sweden, and led by women, and then you have the male-led Sweden taking an incredibly different approach and not shutting down. And I think time is already beginning to show that that, there was, that was a very risky strategy. But I think through the lens of the gendered leadership in particular, it will be a very fascinating case study in much the same way our states will be. Yes, right. And and Sweden, I, I kept hearing from people like my 32-year-old son, well, look, you know, we should be doing what Sweden is mm-hmm. doing. Because, and I, I, Teddy's brilliant, so don't get me wrong. But I, it just became such a model, such a thought. It was just in the air yep. <laughs> like a virus, right? And, and so meanwhile, true. now Sweden has had more deaths than than. Denmark, Finland, Norway, Iceland mm-hmm. combined. Yeah, so it's not looking so wonderful. Um, Sweden and Norway have had this uh, this competition between them for years in terms of overall political and um, economic, etc. And and so for Sweden to have such a a different approach really stands in in bright relief. Um, And it's not looking so good for Sweden. God bless them. I think the Taiwanese example is very interesting, too, just seeing uh, with that proximity to China, how effective the leadership has been there. Can you talk a little bit more about that for people who've not followed it closely? I love this one, President Tsai, because she mobilized before the very first case was confirmed. And she she just became very, very aggressive in in what she was um, enacting. And she had more than 100 measures that she put into place. And as a result of that, the U.S. death rate, if you don't mind me throwing out a stat, the U.S. death rate is more than seven times greater. Mm. And, you know, you take some flack for that, but you, you've just got to stand your ground. And and women are really, really good at standing their ground. I think we have to do it with, with our kids so much, you know, like you will not throw that ice cream on your brother or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and they've got to pull out. Now, it doesn't always happen. I mean, they, they've got to pull that out and use it politically. 
oh, you know who who did that that nobody knows, and and that is Margaret Thatcher. I remember I read this to my class at the Kennedy School. There's there's I've taught there for twenty years. There there's a section in her book, which is her autobiography, where she talks about going into a cabinet meeting, and which was all men, and she said they were a bunch of little boys fighting on the playground. And I pulled up all of my my maternalistic strength. And I scared them. You know, I scared them because they said, oh my God, it's my mother. <laughs> and we didn't think that about Margaret Thatcher. So to me, it's, you know, even a Maggie Thatcher, she can play that maternal card. May I? I don't want this. I think we may be getting near the end. I, I don't want to to lose uh, one of my very, very favorite. You know, I wrote a book on Rwandan women. So I made 17 trips there and was always getting together with Rwandan women if they came to the U.S., et cetera. So here's the story. And, and that is that there was a woman health minister and she had a deputy who was a woman, et cetera. And so... And Rwanda is villages. I mean, it's not like there are, you know, there's the major city and then the the next group and then the next group, you know. It's basically, there's a capital, which is not very big at all. It still has dirt streets. And and then there are these, you know, 20,000 villages or something. And so the villages elected a community health worker or several. And so because, so they elected them and therefore, the community health worker had the trust of the villagers. Now, when I say a community health worker, I'm talking about 45,000 community health wow. workers that were then trained. And two-thirds of those were women. And so they came back to the villages, and the villagers wanted to know what to do about malaria, which, you know, that's where how the children were dying. And in five years, because of these... 45,000 community health workers, malaria was decreased by fasten your seatbelts 90%. Wow. Wow. And that principle, it's not about malaria. It's not about COVID-19. It is about the trust that people have in women. And because they have that trust, they are much more likely to be compliant with whatever they've been told to do and uh, in terms of a major health problem. I want to ask you, as someone who has been about the work of using data as a foundation for encouraging more women to serve in leadership positions, what you think about my visceral reaction to the Harvard article that you mentioned when I read the, the article about leadership principles that men could learn about from women I felt really sad because I feel like so much of my professional training as a young woman involved going to women's events, being taught to act more like an alpha male. You know, I want to be mindful of gender stereotypes, but that that alpha vision of male leadership that we're talking about that doesn't make room for expertise, um, that is confidence over competence. I feel like so much of what was ingrained in me as a young woman professional was to act more like that. And as I read 
information that says exactly the opposite in terms of leadership effectiveness. I just wonder why you think that approach persists and how we can change the tide and how we talk to each other as women about those characteristics. So you're talking about the approach of dress for success, right? Dress like a man. Yes. Act like a man. And yeah, you know, um, it does persist, but the fact is that you notice it. And a lot of other women notice it. And the ones who don't, the woman next to her notice it. <laughs> Did you see this? You know, and I think it's a new day and time. I wouldn't feel discouraged about that at all. I think we've made tremendous, tremendous strides. And of course, we're still at a point which is transitional. By the way, Hillary Clinton told me when she was first lady, she was talking about, or we were talking about how she was being used as this um, this whipping post, right? Like, like she could do no no right. And and you know, she people said, wait, you're not feminine. So then she came out with chocolate chip cookies. I baked them myself. And somebody said, that's gonna cost you and your husband X number of votes. You know, you're demeaning women at home. Like so. And I said to her, like, what's going on here? And a friend of mine who was a cartoonist for the Rocky Mountain News in Denver had drawn a picture of her on the Truman balcony. And her hair is straight up in the air. And it's called Hillary Lightning Rodham Clinton. And and that was true. She said, you know, this is a transformational time. And I'm just a symbol. This isn't actually about me. And when you read her book so many years later, that was right after the election, it's called What Happened. She talks about that again, that that she had hoped that we were a lot farther along than than you're describing. But the, you know, we we aren't. But you know, but maybe, but maybe we actually, if you can compare 20 years ago to now, you'll see a stark, stark difference. But the, the change happens in nanoseconds. And, and it's kind of like, do you still act the way your great-grandmother did? And the answer is absolutely not. Well, what about your grandmother? No. <laughs> you know. Well, when did the change mm-hmm. happen? And then there's this kind of baffled look. You know, like, well, when did it happen? And, and there wasn't a when. It, it's in tiny, tiny little moments. So keep the faith do your part. And that's what it takes that each one of us is pointing to the parts of the stereotypes that we think are really destructive, not just to women, but they're destructive to men. And they're destructive Mm -hmm. to our kids. And they're destructive to our countries, which means they're destructive to the world. Just keep naming them, keep noting them. You don't have to be mean, you can just note it. And and that's how we change the world. That sounds like the perfect point to end on is that we got to keep our eye on the prize. We're just going to keep noting these things and having faith that paying attention and pushing this type of change forward, especially with people like you by our side, Ambassador Hunt, that have dedicated their life to that type of change. So thank you so much for coming here and, and talking with us. And next time you'll call me Swanee, right? 
<laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Beth, what's on your mind outside politics? I wanted to share a little bit about my experience of reading Jen Hatmaker's new book. Her book is called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. And we love Jen Hatmaker here, as many of you know. She is smart and warm and funny. 
And I was nervous about writing this book because of the title. I'll just be honest. I was worried that this book was going to be kind of another don't let anyone dull your sparkle, take up your space in the world, get loud, women, rah, rah book. And I've read enough of those, and they always make me feel a little left out because just by wiring, I'm a quieter person. And as if she were living in my brain, very early in the book, Jen tackles that. And what really profoundly impacted me is that she talked about like the different volumes that women live at and how important it is for all of those volumes to exist and to be respected and for nobody to encourage you to be bigger or smaller than you are. And this term that she had for people like me is the mezzo woman. And oh my gosh, it like, it was like someone had just reached down and said, you are fine. Like, you are exactly fine just as you are today in a way that I didn't really know that I needed. But, you know, it talked about how there are women who can be very bold and and very fiery in their way, but they are never going to be like take up all the space in the room sort of women. And that's just who I've always been. And it was really nice to get that affirmation from someone who I respect so much and to be able to just kind of relax and read the rest of the book knowing like, Jen sees all of us. There is room at Jen's table for everybody. It's really, it was really affirming. And then the rest of the book has just been the funny, delightful, insightful writing that we always see from Jen. Well, we are recording this on Memorial Day. So I've been thinking a lot about the kickoff of the summer, especially because it turned really hot here in Kentucky, sort of on a dime in my part of the state. Um, I got a new bicycle that I'm very excited about. I'm realizing I know how to ride a bike, but I don't think I know how to ride a bike as an adult. You know what I mean? Like I can I can move a bike forward, but I don't know about the speeds and where the seat's supposed to be. Um, so that's going to be one of my goals this summer is to become a better bike rider. But we're going swimming at my friend's house and... Um, you know, it's a quieter summer season, but I'm not really, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff on in the media and on my Facebook feed of sort of mourning, quote unquote, the loss of summer. But I am, you know, to me, summer is at its best when it's smaller because it is, first of all, hot and anything you do requires a lot of energy. So, you know, I am kind of feeling the smaller summer, a day that's the big activity is a bike ride or a quick swim and or just lemonade and um, making popsicles. And I'm really not I'm I'm kind of feeling it now. We're at the very beginning. So who knows how long that will last. But this weekend, um, getting outside with my kids, we just went over, checked on our community garden plot and like threw a Frisbee. And it was really fun. And I'm I'm just sort of trying to lean into the smallness, especially since our summer was supposed to be very big, involve a trip overseas. Um, I'm trying to lean into a a scaled down summer, which I think summer is sort of beautifully suited for. It takes a lot of pressure off to not mm-hmm. feel like you have to be everywhere doing all the things. I did think over the weekend, because we had a very a small, a small summer kind of weekend. Um, I like that phrase too. And it was it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. We ate really good food that we made here at our house and we sat in the yard. We blew up an inflatable pool, you know, and the girls splashed around. It was just, it was very nice and quiet. 
And I was thinking, I don't know that I will ever be able to handle the kind of work days that I had before all of this again, because I am getting so used to the big thing today is that we smoked a pork butt. You know, (laughs) I mean, like that's Mm -hmm. our big, that's our big activity today. Um, It's going to be hard to go back to the frantic pace that most of us were living before we experienced the pleasure of this simplicity. Again, not to make, I feel like I always have to say, like, not to say that this is a good time in our history or that I wish any of it, but I am learning from it for sure. For me, I remember a conversation we had while traveling where we talked about, I just need like 10 days in my house by myself to tackle all these things that pile up around you and sort of our residual stress. And you know what? I don't have 10 days in a row, but over the course of this, I'm going to get through that list. Like I told my husband the other day, I'm like, I am whipping this house into shape. Like doing what I've always sort of craved to do, which is touch and clean and check every place in my house. Right now I'm going through um, and reorganizing my closet, which holds all my sort of scrapbooks and childhood memorabilia. I got all my journals from like my entire life organized in a in a basket. And I'm like, I'm going to start reading these before I turn 40 next year. Just stuff like that. That's always it always sounded like a wouldn't that be fun <laughs> or wouldn't that be like, wouldn't it be nice to have this cleaned out? I also like on a side note, vacuumed my closet. You don't think as of your closet as a place that gets dirty. It gets Really? So dirty. Really <laughs> dirty back there. Um, it's just stuff like that that I think you don't you don't realize like when you have a really long expanse of time, even if it's broken up because your children are asking you something every three and a half minutes, um, like what you can get done and how good it feels to get the stuff out of your house and have just an afternoon to be with your kids and pay attention to your kids. And again, like the, the I don't mind the slowdown and I don't think it's disrespectful to talk about the positive aspects of this time. I mean, I, th- I feel like people always have done that in sacrifice. You know, one of my favorite books, Tribe by Sebastian Younger, they talk about people during the Blitz are like, oh, my God, it was so scary and it was so intense. And also, I kind of miss it. Like because you're in it together, you're really focused on what matters to you. There's not a lot, uh, like there's a lot of really deep prioritizing when things are intense. And so in the, and again, in comparison to something like the Blitz, this is, this is, I'm not, my country is not asking that much of me to clean my closet and make popsicles instead of going to a parade. We hope that you all are finding really joyful moments in the midst of this time too, and that you will have a good week Please come back on Friday to hear from Governor Gretchen Whitmer. We're so excited for that conversation. Um, The Nuance Life will be up on Wednesday and we'll be on social media between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsu Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Production. Elise Knapp is our managing editor. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Martha Branitsky, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Allie Edwards, Amy Whited, Jared Minson, Allison Luzader, Janice Elliott, Barry Kaufman, and Sarah Ralph. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics.
You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.